All right. Hello, and welcome to Impure Rethought. I'm Meg. Hi. And I'm Victoria, a.k.a. Vika. Um, what's our podcast about, Vika? Our podcast is about examining the way purity, patriarchy, and profit have shaped Western culture. Yep, I agree. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, in <laughs> fact. <laughs> um, if you'd like to support the pod, you can follow us. You can leave us a review. You can, if you're on Spotify, you can leave us a little rating. You can't do actual reviews, but you can leave a five-star rating. Uh, what else can they do? I forgot. Um, you can join our Discord. Oh, true. You can join the Discord. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Lots of fun discussions over there. Even though I'm not very active. Apologies to our uh, listeners who are on Discord. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah, that's okay. I'm I'm very active on Discord because that's where I play D and D. So, oh, perfect. Uh, yeah, I think that sums it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so today we're doing a marriage part two. Yeah, and we're talking. And I'm back. Yes, and Victoria's back. Welcome we back, to California. I think I couldn't record. Because I was at Disneyland. Uh, Excuses. When... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, I know. Just having also, fun without us. It's fine. Yes. Um, I was in California visiting family. Um, and then visiting Meg in Boston with our sound guy, Chris. So yeah. it was fun. I'm back now. We've returned to life uh, for marriage part two, which I'm excited about because (laughs) I thought marriage part one was a really good thought provoking episode. So I'm excited to share my thoughts. Yes, I can't wait to hear your thoughts. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So today we're focusing less on like purity culture and like premarital sex and stuff and focusing more on sexuality Mostly Hmm. the history of LGBTQ rights in North America and later the U.S. from, like, pre-colonial times to uh, the Christian rights' current crusade against same-sex marriage for some reason. Mm -hmm. Long history there. And lives in a world of illusions. This pure thought and impure thought business. Who are you to decide what is pure and impure? This is the way life is made. There's nothing pure, there's nothing impure. Life is just the way it is. It's for you. A culture that is obsessed with and prioritizes a separation from and control of natural human desire. So yeah, we'll just dive right in. Um, So starting way back in like the 1400s and before, um, Mm -hmm. for the most part, it seems like LGBTQ plus rights were not threatened in North America until European colonizers arrived with their strict puritanical gender roles and values, um, puritanical and Catholic. Um, I read a really good essay, which I highly recommend, called 
Indigenous Sexualities, Resisting Conquest and Translation. Um, It's linked Mm. in the show notes if you want to read it. Um, And in that, the argues, the argues, (laughs) (laughs) the authors argue that so much of our historic misunderstanding of Indigenous sexuality is due to like our small English vocabulary and narrow Mm. cultural understanding. So the authors, Manuela L. Peak and Josie Takuna, um, I hope I'm pronouncing those right. I couldn't find pronunciation. So anyway, um, they describe it this way, quote, the spectrum of indigenous sexualities does not fit the confined Western registries of gender binaries, heterosexuality, or LGBT codification. It is not these idioms that are untranslatable, but rather the cultural and political fabric they represent. Indigenous sexualities defy contemporary LGBT and queer frameworks. Mm. Um, So basically, when taken out of cultural context and language, the diverse gender sexualities and roles European colonizers saw among indigenous peoples across North and South America were just impossible for them to understand let alone describe. Mm. Um, Will Roscoe, a prominent queer and indigenous scholar and activist, built a linguistic index from colonial accounts of indigenous North American tribes and found language for alternative genders in over 150 tribes across North America. I know. Um, Yeah, so I thought that was cool. So, of course, not all of the colonizers spoke English, but, uh, (laughs) but we're going to, I think it's like applicable across most of the like European languages that they spoke, Mm -hmm. but, um, we're going to do a quick little like English quiz, um, English history quiz to see just how limited the language was at this time. Um, so can you guess the first recorded use of the following words? Um, when do you think was the first recorded use of lesbian? Ooh. Like 1920? No, 1732, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's way earlier than I would have guessed. Yeah, it's early. Um, what about homosexual? Mm, the, also the 1700s. No, actually much later, 1869. Whoa. Because they tended to say, like, sodomy before that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I suppose that would, that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Um, How about bisexual? I'm going to say that one is is the late 1800s or early 1900s. Yeah, 1872. I was surprised by how early that was, actually. Yeah, same. Um, what about gay, but in, like, in the context of sexuality, not, like, happy, like, carefree? being kinda. gay? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. The 40s? <laughs> I don't know. 1955. Probably close. Whoa, really? Wow. Yeah. And then transgender is the last one. Oh, I feel like that one's probably really late, like, the 60s or 70s. Yeah, 1965. Whoa. Yeah, so you can imagine that in, like, these are all between, like, the early 1700s and the Mm mid-1900s. So you can imagine that in the, like, 14th, 15th 
16th, even 17th centuries, literal centuries away from even having the words to describe different sexualities and gender identities. Um, the colonizers only saw through their, like, super narrow binary view. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Binary view. <laughs> this is kind of a long quote, but uh, Peek and Takuna, who wrote that article that I mentioned earlier, uh, summed up some examples of, like, how colonizers described what they saw mm-hmm. uh, much better than I could. So I'm just going to read the quote. They said, quote, French expeditions in Florida described hermaphrodites among the Timucua Indians as early as 1564. Colonial engravings depict them as warriors, hunters, and weavers. In the Mississippi Valley, French colonizers reported a third gender called Ikueta in Algonquian language, Mm. males who adopted gender roles. They went to war, sang in ceremonies, and participated in councils. According to colonial reports, they were holy and nothing could be described or nothing could be decided without their advice. Another French colonizer, Dumont de Montigny, <laughs> should, I don't know how to pronounce French, it's but fine. anyway, um, that guy described males that did women's work and had sex with men among the Natchez in the lower Mississippi region in the, ni- in the 18th century. Hmm. In what is now Texas, the Spanish Cabeza de Vaca reported men who dressed and lived like women. Even Russian traders in the subarctic region documented gender diversity among native communities in what is today Alaska. Despite Russian efforts to suppress third genders, the Chugak and Konyag celebrated those who were two persons in one and considered them lucky. Hmm. So... Those are just, like, some of the examples of yeah, um, what colonizers saw when they arrived. Um, so, for the most part, more than two genders and different sexualities were embraced and even celebrated in North America. And sex was, for the most part, entirely separate from gender identity. And then the colonizers arrived. Um, They're like, we gotta put an end been... to this right now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they might have been unable to comprehend the diversity they found in the New World, but Peek and Takuna argue that, quote, the colonial destruction of native sexualities is more than a mere inability to see otherness. Labeling native sexualities as unnatural justified violent repression, and the heterosexualization of Indians was as much a process of modernization as of dispossession. Um, wow. So as we all should know by now even if we didn't learn it in school the colonizers were incredibly violent Mm -hmm. and they usually justified it using uh biblical scripture (laughs) yeah naturally uh so now we kind of get into like u.s history um with the puritans arriving and establishing the first permanent english settlement in america in jamestown virginia in 1606 uh, this is going to be, like, a long timeline. Okay. <laughs> so, lots of events. <laughs> Hopefully it's interesting. All right. Um, in 1620, the Mayflower sailed over from England and brought with it the Mayflower Compact, which, embarrassingly, I had never heard of. <laughs> or I probably had, but it was just, like, a little blip mm. in, like, um, U.S. history or something. But, basically, it was, like, one of the first 
sets of laws. Um, yeah. And it was a temporary set of laws that established four things for the Plymouth colony. One, that the colonists would remain loyal to King James. Two, that the colonists would create and abide by laws for the good of the colony. Three, that the colonists would create a single society and work together to further it. And four, that the colonists would live in accordance with the Christian faith. Mm. Purely Puritan. Yeah. We hate to see it. This um, is where it all William, started. Yeah. Uh, William Bradford, who came over on the Mayflower, served as the Plymouth Colony's governor for more than 30 years. Um, he was actually the second governor, but the first one died, mm. like, only a year into... Kind of an L for him. Um, yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> um, fun fact about William Bradford... <laughs> So I read a history.com page about him, mm-hmm. and it listed Julia Child among his descendants. Oh, what? Um, and guess who else is descended from William Bradford? Ooh, is it you? Yeah, <laughs> it's me. So that's my new fun fact about myself. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm distantly related to Julia Child. That's fun. <laughs> I will always It's like... more fun than being related to William Bradford, <laughs> but I'm that's like true. a direct descendant, oh. unfortunately. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I'm I'm always like I always kind of feel like I like have met a celebrity when I meet people whose ancestors came over on the Mayflower because mine, my peasant ancestors definitely didn't. Anyway, um, being written mostly by separatists fleeing the Church of England, the Mayflower Compact established the Plymouth Colony as Puritan with all the gender roles and norms that come with that. Um, by 1630, so 10 years after the Mayflower Compact was published, um, the Massachusetts Bay General Court had officially declared fornication, adultery, rape, and sodomy punishable by whipping, banishment, or execution. Wow. It's a lot. <laughs> um, some yeah. of those feel like, anyway. <laughs> some of those feel like they're not the same thing at all. Yeah, definitely. Um, More sodomy laws were established in 1714 across the colonies, and they actually stayed in place until they were challenged in 1925. 1925? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Other than a law proposed by Thomas Jefferson in 1779 to make sodomy punishable by mutilation instead of death. But that law wasn't actually accepted. (laughs) But that was the only challenge to them until 1925. Um, Do you think that Thomas Jefferson challenged them because he wanted to just, like, impregnate all his slaves and not get punished for it? Not that he was punished for it in any manner. But that wouldn't be sodomy, right? Well, rape fell under that law, too, right? Yeah, but his was specifically sodomy. Oh, well. To make that punishable differently. Weird move yeah. from Thomas Jefferson in that case. Yeah. Um. Anyway, in 1789, Olauda Equino, I don't know, um, a formerly enslaved person, published a widely read narrative in which he described the prominence of same-sex relationships among enslaved people since they weren't allowed Mm. to marry um Mm. so that was like a big part of slave culture um according to the thing that i read 
Uh, skipping ahead a bit to the gold rush in the 1850s, there was this huge influx of non-native people moving to California, and most of them were men. Um, in mm. San Francisco specifically, 95% of the new people were men. Wow. Um, men's only dances, like the miners ball, seem to be common. Um, and this is where San Francisco's history as like an anything goes city mm. started. That's fun. I didn't know that. I know. Me neither. I was so surprised to learn that. Um, a red light district called the Barbary Coast formed in San Francisco where same-sex prostitution and cross-dressing were common. Um, and the city's first gay bar, and as far as I could tell, the country's first gay bar was called The Dash, and it opened in 1908, um, yeah. but was shut down almost immediately. <laughs> yeah, Naturally. of course it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the Harlem Renaissance happened between roughly 1917 and 1935, and historian, historians widely consider it as gay as it was black. <laughs> um yeah that makes yeah. sense yeah and uh if you don't know what the harlem renaissance is i'm not here to shame you but like you should but i'll tell you just in <laughs> case <laughs> um it was basically like an explosion and celebration of black art and expression um mm -hmm. part of the development of harlem as a black neighborhood in new york Many of the prominent artists from the period were queer, including Langston Hughes, Zora Neale Hurston, and Ethel Waters. Uh, in 1924, the first gay rights organization, the Society for Human Rights, was founded in Chicago, but fell apart after most of its members were arrested. <sighs> Classic. Yeah. Um, not in the U.S., but absolutely had a worldwide impact. Nearly 100,000 German sexual bleh, German <laughs> homosexual men were placed in Nazi concentration camps and were designated by a pink triangle on their clothing. And they were mm -hmm. actually the last group of people to be liberated in 1945. Wow. Um, then in 1950, this was shocking to me, uh, U.S. Congress published a report called Employment of Homosexuals and Other Sex Perverts in Government. Yikes. Sex perverts. I know. Oh, my after, God. And they published this after secretly investigating their employees' sexual orientations. That Talk about a conspiracy out. theory. <laughs> yeah. Um, the report said that since homosexuality was a mental illness, which it technically was considered at mm -hmm. the time um the employment of homosexuals constituted a security threat to the nation lgbtq oh people weren't officially banned from government employment until president eisenhower signed an executive order in 1953 which stayed in place until 1993 uh wow which is so recent <laughs> that's so that's much later than i would have expected yeah yeah um that's crazy yeah. In 1952, homosexuality was listed in the American Psychology Association's Diagnostic Manual as a sociopathic personality disturbance that could be treated. Um, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> this whole list is just, like, mostly just horrifying. Um, yeah. 
This next one, though, is better. Um, in 1962, Illinois became the first state to decriminalize homosexual acts between two consenting adults in private. That's good. Yeah. Um, in 1966, drag queens and transgender people in San Francisco reacted to ongoing police harassment by protesting in the Compton's Cafeteria riots, which lasted several days. Um, a few years later, the Stonewall riots happened in New York mm-hmm. in 1969. Um, those became a pivotal moment in the gay rights movement. Uh, it was a response to an unprovoked police raid on the Stonewall Inn, which was a gay bar in New York. And those riots also lasted several days. Mm-hmm. In 1970, the first gay couple to apply for a marriage license in the U.S. was denied. And a subsequent Supreme Court case upheld the denial. In 1973, the American Psychological Association amended the classification of homosexuality to just a mental disorder instead of a sociopathic personality disturbance. Uh, Oh, good. Um, And it wasn't removed entirely until 1987. Oh, my God. Yeah. In 1974, Elaine Noble was elected as a Massachusetts state legislator, becoming the first openly gay person to do so. Um, Do you recognize the name Anita Bryant? Yes. She was a trans activist, I want to (laughs) say. No, No? but I... I, No, totally wrong. Who am I thinking of? Oh, was she... Who am I thinking of? Somebody else who was yeah. a big, prominent trans actor. Anita Bryant. Wait, wasn't Anita Bryant the person? I'm thinking about Anita Hill. Mm. I definitely recognize the name, but I need you to tell me who Anita Bryant yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have known. Um, but yeah. in 1977, she launched a successful campaign against a Florida law that prevented discrimination against LGBTQ people. And the law oh. was repealed. Um, okay. So Good. definitely not a trans rights activist. A, an anti-trans rights activist. Yes. Um, uh, guess what her group was called that she formed? Oh, I don't know. Something about protecting the children? Yes. <laughs> Save the children. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe that's where I know her name from then. Probably. I definitely remember Save the Children. Yeah. She was, like, a spokesperson for, um, like, some Florida citrus mm. uh, group. And then Harvey Milk and other activists, like, uh, boycotted the group. And she was fired. And then the law was, like, unrepealed or something like that. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so like, happy ending. But, like, Save the Children has persevered. Not necessarily yeah. the group, but the sentiment. But the sure. the ideology is, like, literally, that's, like, the rhetoric behind the anti-trans attacks going on today. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Wild. Mm. Um, in 1978, an initiative in California that would have banned gay and lesbian people from working in public schools was just barely voted down by just 58% of voters. Wow. Um, Got very close to that horrifying law. Yeah. Um, The rainbow flag became a symbol of gay rights in 1978, the same year, 
And later that year, um, San Francisco supervisor Harvey Milk, a prominent gay rights activist and spoke spokesperson, was assassinated. Mm-hmm. Um, the AIDS epidemic began in 1981. Um, I can't cover it much in this episode because it's such a big topic. There's so much. Yeah, there's so much. But uh, there are all kinds of really interesting things out there about it but um i highly recommend radio lab's episode called ashes on the lawn if you want to learn more about like the government's failure to protect people from that epidemic um in 1986 the supreme court ruled in bowers versus hardwick that a georgia sodomy law was legal and the decision wasn't overruled until 2003 (laughs) 2003. That's anyway. crazy. <laughs> yeah. In 1993, the Don't Ask, Don't Tell law was passed under Clinton, mm. allowing gay and lesbian people to serve in the U.S. military. <laughs> Basically, it was uh, a law where, like, you couldn't ask people about their sexuality um, in, like, when they were starting military like in any official capacity um that law was repealed under obama in 2010 to allow gay and lesbian people to serve openly in the military in 1996 shout out to my birth year congress passed (laughs) the defense of marriage act uh stating that marriage and legal unions are between one man and one woman (laughs) so Mm. embarrassing year to be born yeah. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional, um, but not until 2013. So That's crazy. Yeah. Um, Prop 8 passed in California in 2008 with a 52% yes vote. Do you remember this? Yes. I was actually going to bring this up earlier, but then I waited. I decided to wait until you were done with your timeline because I remember that being a huge issue when I went to Monta Vista yeah. and I like didn't know what Prop 8 was. And they like we like and since that was also the year that Obama was elected, we did like a mock election. And of course, like John McCain won like by 80% or something um, (laughs) in our in our school. Um, But I remember like voting on Prop 8. They also made us do. And it was like it was like so controversial. And it's so weird that like it's really weird to think that like we were alive during kind of like I guess what we, we would consider the final years of like the gay marriage debate or discourse even though it's coming back yeah um but yeah weird to be alive like during that debate for sure yeah yeah um so for context prop 8 passed and it stated that quote only marriage between a man and a woman is valid or recognized by california um i have such a confusing memory of this like it just I don't even have like a specific memory I just remember that there were so many signs everywhere about prop 8 everyone had a different opinion on it my parents were very adamant no on prop 8 and our school was very adamant yes on prop 8 and so I was like I don't know what's going on I can't vote so 
it's this is a lot for me i also i remember it being confusing because like um similar to the abortion um amendment that they just voted on in kentucky i want to say like it was worded really confusing so it was like if you vote yes on prop a it might make it seem like you were voting for gay marriage yeah but like i remember seeing like a lot of commercials that had to like explain that yes on prop a was a vote against gay marriage yeah and no was a vote for it yeah i have to assume that like politicians do this on purpose right Oh, 100%. <laughs> like, yeah. It's terrible. They're just trying to trick you. Yeah. The last time, the last time I voted in Cal, I haven't been registered to vote in California in a couple of years, but the last time I voted in California, I had to look up a couple of the propositions, um, specifically the rent control one. Mm. That was the last time I voted in California when we nearly got rent control and wow. we didn't. Um, and yeah, that one was worded like that, where it was like, what are you saying? And I had to look it up and and to have like some website tell me what yeah. how to actually vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're just always like so hard to understand. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We would have much better voter turnout if it was just like easier to literally understand what we're voting on. You know. Yeah. So just one yeah. of the one more barrier to access but anyway Mm -hmm. um that proposition was ruled unconstitutional by a district court judge in 2010 and the supreme court refused to hear an appeal on that ruling in 2013 which allowed same-sex marriages to resume in california um and i remember 2013 being like a very celebratory year for like Mm -hmm. gay marriage in california uh but yeah there was so much back and forth with that proposition and it was just like worded weird and i was 12 years old and i was like (laughs) i don't understand what's going on um i like didn't really know that gay people existed yet so yeah i didn't really either and that was i think that um that year was when i learned that my like lifelong neighbors were actually a gay Mm -hmm. couple my like my neighbor who was a close friend of mine growing up was like a year older than me and mm. she was like yeah you didn't know and i'm like <laughs> i barely knew that that was a thing like yeah so no i had no idea um, yeah but yeah and then i went to their wedding in 2013 it was great oh that's cute yeah, yeah. um Anyway, in 2015, the Supreme Court ruled in Obergefell versus Hodges that states must allow same-sex couples to marry. So, Mm -hmm. um, officially legalizing gay marriage across the country. Well, we'll see if that holds. Yeah, seriously. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, It feels like any Supreme Court ruling that's ever happened is just like it's just on like the chopping well, block we don't know yeah yep <laughs> who knows what's gonna happen it's very scary um so yeah so now we're into our present day war on gay marriage <laughs> or war <laughs> on marriage depending on which side you ask um the obergefell ruling was certainly a victory 
but an Intelligencer article I read and ultimately agree with by Sarah Jones said that it also underlined the reality that the high courts aren't the place to look for progress. Mm. Jones said, quote, to the Christian right, this is a battle with supernatural stakes. Um, and as we know, there's nothing Christians feel more righteous about than saving someone's soul. Truly. Yeah. Um, allowing gay rights to advance means to most conservative Christians, allowing more gay people to exist freely, which in turn endangers the children playing on the unfounded stereotype that all gay people are pedophiles or today groomers because pedophiles seems to be reserved for like in office Democrats. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. It's all a mess. Yeah. Um, Literally. This is, this is always such a weird talking point to me because, okay, neither you or I are straight people a realization that we both came to i think pretty late in life mm-hmm. um but the people that i do know that were groomed and assaulted and whatever was it usually by older straight men regardless of their gender regardless of the gender of the victim like yeah. it's almost always an old straight white guy yeah. It's such a weird, like... Yes? Meow, meow? It's such a weird talking point to me because it's just, like, so counterfactual to all of the actual, like, evidence that there is of, yeah. like, it's people in positions of power, like, that tend to assault people. Mm-hmm. Um, not, like, the most not- marginalized people. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, like, but the more we marginalize them, the less, like, the more marginalized they'll be. And that's the best. And it's like, yeah. Which is like, not to say that they're like, can't be gay and trans predators. Like, there can. Yeah. There's like, I. In every demographic. Yeah, exactly. And like, I personally know a lot because I have a lot of like trans friends like people who have been um targeted by people within those communities but like again it's usually people in positions of power not like the fact that they're gay lesbian or trans is not what makes them a predator no it's the fact that they're a predator that makes them a predator yeah (laughs) yeah a hundred percent and then like the argument that really gets to me too is like it's all in name about like protecting the children but yeah literally it's like do not care about the children no they don't care about the children because okay i have all these stats about it (laughs) okay wonderful Um, yeah very depressing stats um so the last year or so has been awful for pretty much everyone on the mental health front Mm -hmm. i think we can all agree um yeah a Pew Research study published in April of this year found... <laughs> oh, what happened? <laughs> I heard a big... Th- <laughs> oh, no. So, uh, Duncan's mom sent him this, like, big box of, like, old blankets and stuff a while ago. And... um 
Dimitri loves the box, so we kept the box, and he just uh, gets in there sometimes. And so I like to do little treasure hunts with Dimitri's treats because mm, it like cute. entertains him. And a lot of times I'll put one in the box. And um, he just jumped in the box, but he didn't make it all the way. <laughs> and so the whole box fell over oh, and no. like half of his body came with it. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, now he's hiding in the box. <laughs> he's like, that was on purpose. Don't worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, sorry to interrupt you. Please no, go on with your okay. stats. <laughs> um, okay, where was I? A Pew Research study published in April of this year found that lesbian, gay, and bisexual high schoolers are the most likely demographic to say they felt sad or hopeless almost every day for two weeks at some point during the previous 12 months. Um, 76% of them said so compared to 44% of all high schoolers, which is still a big number, but like huge jump between the two. One time when I was like, I was like a senior in high school, I want to say, my mom, like, pulled me aside and she was like, Victoria, why are all of your friends depressed and gay? And I was like, <laughs> no reason. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I have no idea. It's not like we have anything in common. Yeah. <laughs> A 2021 report from the Trevor Project said that LGBTQ youth are more than four times as likely to attempt suicide than their peers. And they estimate that at least one LGBTQ youth attempts suicide every 45 seconds. Mm. Um, More than half of non-binary and transgender youth seriously considered suicide in the last year, according to the Trevor Project's 2022 national survey. So we have all this evidence that anti-LGBTQ sentiment and the ongoing prominence of hate crimes against LGBTQ people are literally Mm. endangering the lives of children. Yeah. Like, there's so much evidence for this, and the Christian right still claims to be worried about kids. And it's like, no, you're just worried about the patriarchy. I don't even know at this point. It's like, yeah, it's like I mean, it's I do, such a like, you know. I mean, I feel like it's a chal- it's a challenge to the status quo. Yeah. Which is what they're worried about and being able to control people, but it's also like it's really counterintuitive to me because like so we had at our high school a couple of teachers who were like reformed gay people who were like either married to each other or yeah or um like single forever because they were like reformed yeah they'd they'd prayed the gay away and it's like it's really counterintuitive to me because if let's say that you want control and you want to have this like system that doesn't really make sense but it works for you whatever it's like a much better tactic to just let people be gay like like if you let them do that one thing you're gonna get them to agree with you on many more things like it just doesn't it doesn't make sense like if i was a cult leader 
that's that would not be the hill that I died on. I'm I think say, it would be you would be a really effective cult leader, I think. Thank you. I agree. It's because <laughs> I understand strategy. Yeah, I think you um, would be like the like behind the scenes cult strategist, you yeah, know. I'd be like the grand vizier of the cult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a that's not it just doesn't make sense. It's just not it's not effective. This is not effective project management and <laughs> I have notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, there are basically like three different views and like obviously views like in between these two but like mm-hmm. three main views that Christians tend to have on um gay people essentially mm-hmm. um one is that it's not okay to be gay at all um you need to be straight yeah. uh, then like the next step up is like, it's okay to feel like you're gay, but, like, don't act on it. That's yeah. the camp that I was in for a while yeah, when I was Christian. Same. And, like, it just made the most sense to me. And I was also, like, a strong proponent of, like, we can't put these rules on, like, non-Christians, you know? Because, like, mm. these rules aren't for people who aren't Christians. So, like, I don't really yeah. care what they do, you know? That's honestly very progressive of you. That is not what my view was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, like, that was what my view was once I thought about it. Like, before yeah. that, I just kind of didn't have a view. But I remember yeah. um, hearing a sermon at our church in high school. I don't know if you were there for this or if it was, like, my senior year or something and you were this already is away. Vintage? What? This was at Vintage? Yeah. Vintage Faith? It was during the Loveology series, which I mentioned. In I the think last I was gone because I because yeah. I, I never read Loveology. Okay, yeah. So, um, they had a like formerly or like still gay person, but like not acting on it. Uh, yeah. person come in, and it was like to me the most compelling sermon I had ever heard because I've never heard. <laughs> like a gay person up in like as a preacher you know um and she basically was like you know like I show my love um like I just have a really big heart and I have so much love to give and I give Mm -hmm. that love to my friends as a single person Mm. And Mm. looking back, like, I thought that was the most beautiful thing at the time. And looking back, it's so devastating to think about. Yeah. Um, And I I remember hearing, like, a year later or something that she had, like, gotten a girlfriend or something. And everyone was, like, scandalized by it. But, yeah, I'm, like, good Good for her. Good for her. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But anyway, and then the next step is that, like... Um, it's fine to be gay and to be in like a queer relationship, sexual relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and like the Bible doesn't say anything about it. Is the view? Um, yeah. so I actually wrote an article on this Ooh. in um, 
a journalism class in college and I credit like that process of like researching and interviewing people and writing the article with a lot of my deconstruction actually Mm. Um, and a lot of like the learning that I did around this topic uh, so yeah, I, I figured sexuality being part of my deconstruction, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's but just sorry, such a on. contentious topic in the church that, and, like, like something that's easy really... to, like, take a stance on, I guess, you know? Yeah, and it also just, like, doesn't, like, make a lot of sense, like, mm-hmm. logically. Like, it was, I think it's it's something that's really easy to, like, pick apart the yeah. threads of. Yeah, exactly. Um... So, yeah, so I thought I'd share a little bit of the research that I found from that paper. I would love to hear it. Um, I want to say right off the bat that I absolutely don't think we need to justify the acceptance of LGBTQ people um, through scripture. (laughs) But I do think it's important (laughs) to, like, know the arguments, you know, and, like, be able to parse out where the Christian rights anti-LGBTQ views come from. Um, gay apologetics yeah it's more from tradition and politics than from an on honest understanding of the bible so (laughs) anyway um the bible actually has like surprisingly little to say on the topic of what we today think of as homosexuality the greek word arsenokoitai i don't know if i'm saying that but um, yeah, arsino okay. means a male and koitai means sexual bed. Um, that word shows up in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Blech. I just said that so weird. 6, 9 <laughs> through 10. Um, and that this verse is often used to justify like anti-gay views. Um, It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Um, So this translation, so the word arsenokoitai is um, translated in this verse as men who practice homosexuality. Um, Mm -hmm. Homosexuals and sodomites is also, those are other uh, common translations of the original Greek. But those, there are lots of Bible scholars that argue that those translations ignore the cultural context they were written in. Um, Mm -hmm. So the Corinthians were entrenched in greek culture where it was common for married men to have sexual relationships with their boy servants Mm. um this is what we would today call statutory rape (laughs) and indeed is likely to be the act paul was referring to in his letter rather than just homosexuality as a concept um because the idea of a consensual loving homosexual marriage or partnership was pretty much unheard of in Paul's day. So, like, he wouldn't be Mm. talking about it, you know? Yeah. Um, And it's unproductive to apply this view to, like, our modern-day understanding 
Um, obviously that's a whole argument to be had with people who believe in taking the Bible literally. (laughs) And I wish I had a magical formula for talking people out of that view, but, um, I don't, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, but there's a really important, like, scholarly article called Seven Gay Texts by the theologian John H. Eliot. Have you heard of it? No, but I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it basically <laughs> um it basically goes through like the seven uh pieces of scripture that are typically used to argue against homosexuality. Um and mm. it in that article he notes that quote nothing in 1 Corinthians or for that matter in any other biblical writing speaks directly to the biological or psychological condition of homosexuality or homosexual orientation as this is understood today, and as it concerns believing Christian gay persons intent on worshiping and serving God. So in other words, Mm. gay Christians are, like, entirely ignored within the text of the Bible. Like, it's just not addressed. Um, So, yeah. So his, his article, um offers like you know he goes into each of the seven scriptures that one was like i think that that verse is one of the most widely used which is why i only focused on that one Mm. um but if you're interested in the other ones they're all in that paper so yeah that's cool um but yeah basically like i don't know there's nothing that says you can't be in a loving gay relationship. You know? I think it's also interesting, like, um, for my undergraduate degree, um, like, I did a lot of research about, like, gender and sexuality and representation and things like that. And, like, I also remember it being part of my deconstruction to learn, like, like to read... Um, like actual gender and sexuality scholars and understand that like sexuality is a very fluid thing and like i i would go so far as to say that no one person is a hundred percent straight or a hundred percent gay like your circumstances really dictate the way that sexuality folds out for you um you could almost say that we live in a society (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> we used to be and, a society yeah true um and it's really like i mean sort of the christian right is very rigid about a lot of things um but sexuality in particular is like an interesting one to me to focus on because it doesn't truly have that many consequences if somebody is gay. Like, if somebody... If there's a lesbian couple, they're both still affected by misogyny? Like, it's not... It's not like... I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. And then also, like, just from a scientific perspective, homosexuality is found in, like, every species on the planet. What makes humans so special? It's, like, literally so natural, and that's, like, their whole argument is that it's unnatural, but it is But it's, like, literally extremely natural. Like, have you ever met a penguin? You know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) True. (laughs) 
I love I love reading um stories about gay zoo animals. That's yeah. so fun for me. That's so cute. Love that for them. Where does the Christian rights fervor come from on this? Who knows? Everywhere, know. nowhere, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um in that intelligence or article I mentioned earlier, uh, she had a really good quote. Uh, she said, the Christian rights views on sex and gender are places where its authoritarian bent are most visible and its anti-democratic tendencies come most clearly to the fore. The movement mm. seeks total power over even the urges of bleh, even the urges of the body where desire mm. bucks the rights mastery. The unruly body must be ground to dust. Uh, thoughts i think that's such a good quote <laughs> that is such a good quote and i think that i mean that like is one of the whole reasons that we started this podcast mm-hmm. uh because we talked all the time about how like um like purity in the christian right is like aimed at the mind Instead yeah. of, which I thought, like, from Marriage Part 1, that was really interesting, what Brit, what Brit said about her parents, um, like, having long discussions so that they, like, believed the right thing. My mom was kind of similar to that sometimes. A lot of times, it was not that. It was just, like, punishment. But, um, <laughs> uh, but just, like, depended on the day. And, um... And I think, like, that is, the mind, I think, is, like, the perfect battleground, because then it's somehow your fault if anything goes wrong, and it really encourages you to, like, not look at power structures and not examine anything. Yeah. And then, like, this whole idea in Christianity that the body is, like, separate from you, like, as if your brain is not part of your body. Yeah. And as if, like... There's the whole idea of, like, you having a, a separate soul from your body mm-hmm. and um, being, like, not of the earth and not of the world. Was that Fenway? Yeah, it was. <laughs> that was Just a funny Just came noise. to yell at me. Yeah. Oh, Just gonna well, jump boy, do I know soon. that feeling. Yeah, this this idea of, like, the mind being separate from the body and, like, your body being, like, dirty and, yeah. like, something that you control rather than those all being, like, parts of the same person is so, like, anti-scientific. Yeah. It's so weird to me. Yeah. Um, But that is a really great quote, and I think, like, that is where a lot of the authoritarianism comes to show, and, like, I think it's one of the more rigid areas of Christianity that, and and as we were saying before, that's why it's one of the threads that's easier to pull apart. Yeah, exactly. Because it's, like, not particularly logical, and it's, like, entirely about control, but, like, not for a really good reason. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, and then there's, like, with the, like, body being separate from your soul and being, like, somehow dirty and, like, of the world, Mm -hmm. at the same time, there's, like, this dissonance with the idea that, like, your body is a temple. To me, Mm -hmm. that idea was always, like, um, less about my physical body, I guess, and more about, like, my soul body, if, Mm. does that make sense? 
Yeah, totally. Like, like I remember, um, I, I never got really far into that ideology because I was hashtag depressed. Um, <laughs> I was just trying to like, figure out who I was. So I'm like, maybe yeah. I'm just a temple. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I like, I remember thinking like, my body is important because God made it. And, like, now the way that I kind of feel, like, is, like, my body is important because I live here. Like, yeah, this is my home. exactly. And that's, like, another reason to be, like, you know, not, like, I guess to be body neutral. Yeah. Um, is exactly. just, like, you know, I'm just trying to live here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, not to totally change the topic, but I always felt a little uncomfortable with body positivity. And then I saw um, one take that was like, oh, Dimitri, don't step on my recording. <laughs> okay, we're, we're good. <laughs> um, I saw some something that said um, it doesn't... I don't care if my body is beautiful, like, it, it shouldn't matter. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to see. Going back to our original topic, yes, it's very, the way that Christianity talks about the body and about, um, especially, like, bodily desires, whether that be food or sex or touch or, like, social craving, it's, like, so entwined with shame yeah and like as if the natural world is like evil and like the devil controls it mm -hmm. <laughs> um that is like the sentiment yeah yeah and i feel like that's where a lot of the like anti-homosexual arguments come in um as in like this is, like, your body talking to you and yeah. not your mind. Yeah. When I don't think that's ever been accurate for anybody. <laughs> like... Yeah. You can call anything, like, a battle between, like, God and... Like, a spiritual battle, you know? Between yeah. God and, yeah. like, Satan. <laughs> um, I'm having... A spiritual battle to stay awake for 12 yeah. hours a day and, and not take a nap. Yeah. And, and like I'm losing. It's one of those things that like is just impossible to argue with. Yeah. You know, and um, that's, I don't know, is... I guess where they get all their power. Yeah. So they just totally. make these like foolproof kind of arguments, you know. You, you can't argue, well, you can't argue with something that you literally can't prove. Yeah, exactly. There's no, no scientific method for the spiritual battle. No. Um, this is a total derailment, but I remember reading one time that, like, people who have, like, foot fetishes, they're, like, something is different in their brain, where, like, the, like, the area associated with feet is, like, closer to the area where, like, sexual feelings come from, Whoa. and I, I have no idea if this is true. So, I like take that idea, with a grain though, of salt. That there's an area associated yeah. with feet, <laughs> specifically. Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't that, well, I <laughs> mean, it, your like, brain has, like, feet, or... No, <laughs> no, it's, like, the con the control center oh, of, okay. of your feet. <laughs> that makes more sense. I, now I always think about that when I think about, like, Christian arguments about homosexuality and stuff, because I'm, like, well, you don't know, like, 
you could be two seconds away from being a foot fetishist and you like you wouldn't even know and yeah. you can't even control that because of your brain yep. like so anyways yeah that's what it makes me think of now even though i'm not sure if it's true <laughs> it is interesting to think about though there are plenty of like actual proven things about our brains and like sexuality yeah. that are true so you know it's really interesting to me how much neuroscience there is that christians totally ignore oh yeah how much science in general <laughs> yeah true <laughs> yeah for sure um because there's also like okay we're really like getting off topic here for a second That's but okay. like <laughs> there's also such a like anti-psychology yeah view like i personally so i really really needed therapy after my brothers died you know like i really I could also have used, needed therapy yeah i really could have not used, after your brothers died but, but yeah just in general <laughs> yeah i really could have used like a grief counselor but i didn't want to go yeah. because i was scared that they like i'd heard stories or whatever like probably fake stories about psychologists mm-hmm. like talking people out of religion and so i was like you know, like, what can a therapist do for me that my pastor and the Bible can't do? Like, oh my god, and like praying, you know? Um, yeah, and I don't know, like, I, I think that I've dealt with, like, not that I'm done, but like, I've been dealing with my grief like pretty well, you know? Mm-hmm. But imagine how so, much yeah. better I could have dealt with it in the beginning. <laughs> like, I could have saved myself yeah. so many panic attacks in college (laughs) you know truly but anyway i probably would have been diagnosed with autism way earlier yeah true anyway okay back to my research (laughs) there's not too much more of it but okay um, so overall support specifically for same-sex marriage has risen pretty steadily in the u.s since 2004 um in like 2010 or 11 was when um the majority switched from being not in support to being in support um mm. and it's stayed supportive since then currently 61 percent so i know early like yeah that's so that's like 12 years ago that's yeah so weird. it's so recent yeah um so currently 61 percent of americans overall support same-sex marriage which to me 61 percent is like really low like surprisingly yeah. low Um, Yeah, same. But as you might imagine, there's a pretty clear divide across party lines with 75% of Democrats in support versus 44% of Republicans. Still, that's like... other 25% of Democrats? That's what I want to know. I know. (laughs) I'm like, that feels like a low number for Democrats and honestly, like, Mm -hmm. kind of a high number for Republicans. I'm like, how can you be a Republican and support same-sex marriage? Like, maybe you're not a Republican because that's, like, one of their main talking points. But anyway. um, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm about to take us on another diatribe but it's a short one so obviously when i was in college i studied russian and a lot of the people that were in the russian club were also members of like the young republicans club um Mm. at uc irvine which was not a wonderful place to be a young republican yeah i would imagine and because like a lot of them were from la they were like armenians from la from orange Um, county or (laughs) No, well, oh, I there just were feel some like that's in where Orange all the County. Conservatives but... are from. 
but yeah but not like not a ton of people from orange county went to uc irvine Mm. unless they were like from the asian community that lives in orange county Mm, and they were mostly really liberal um but like the young republicans a lot of them were from la and so those were the republicans who were like republicans but they supported same-sex marriage so i know who you're it's like young people mostly that's so weird yeah i'm like then what are you a republican about you know they were republicans about like taxes uh about like guns big government versus small government um welfare like they were more concerned about economics really yeah that tracks yeah um yeah as you might imagine support is lowest among white evangelical protestants support for same-sex marriage um no way i know surprise with just 29 (laughs) percent saying same-sex couples should be allowed to marry still kind of like high to me (laughs) yeah that was a higher number than i would have guessed yeah um on the flip side 79 percent of religiously unaffiliated people support same-sex marriage Mm. um uh yeah so a growing number of Christian denominations and individual churches, too, are affirming, which to me is encouraging. Uh, yeah. I, like, when I was still going to church just, like, a year or so ago, um, went to such a nice, like, welcoming and affirming church. Uh, so highly recommend if you want to go to a church. Um, the... Oh, no. Wow. Now I can't even think of what it's called. I mean, I know what my church is called. I'm trying to think of the de- the ne- the <laughs> denomination. The denomination? UCC I know is that... the un- oh, universal. Nice. No, it's not universal. United. No. I don't know. UCC, though. <laughs> I know that when I was in high school, the, like denomination that was like famous for being accepting of gay people were the episcopalians yes yeah that because they like just i think when we were in high school they had like just announced that Mm -hmm. they were becoming accepting i I do remember going to an episcopalian church with a friend one time and they had a woman pastor and she was wearing the little like collar and i was like whoa (laughs) what's this um, I just looked it up, and it's United Church of Christ. I'm so embarrassed that I oh. couldn't remember that. But anyway. <laughs> anyway, Fun. it's a really nice denomination if you need to go to church. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it also feels like, this is purely anecdotal, but, like, it feels like those who are not affirming are getting louder, mm. you know? Yeah. Especially, like, so this, um, the Pew Research study of like, support for same-sex marriage. The most recent stat on there was from 2019, and I'm really curious whether, like, since then, overall support has gone down, you know? Mm, Yeah. Um, It had gone down a little bit, like, just a percentage point or two um, from 2017, I think, was the previous stat. So I'm wondering if it went down even further if so, that's it feels so like, depressing, but... I mean, it f- feels like people are getting louder about not supporting it, but I would also say it feels like people are also, like, getting much more staunch about 
their support of like gay rights that's true Um, because i like if you weren't like alive or like conscious of gay marriage in 2008 and 2013 like like it was like not cool to be gay like yeah like kids kids these days don't understand what it was like to like yeah gay was still like a derogatory word at our Mm -hmm. high school anyway which was probably behind the times but you know yeah, and but even like in general, like there weren't like a lot of gay celebrities that we yeah. like were really aware of. It wasn't like you weren't putting your sexuality in your like MySpace bio. Yeah, like um, it was like something that was very, I don't know, like under the radar and like not cool at mm-hmm. all. So, and I feel like. A lot of the criticism that you kind of see of, like, younger people today is, like, everybody's bisexual or everybody's blah, 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 which, like, I would argue that probably most people are bisexual and they haven't been in the circumstance to let them know that yet. Yeah. Um, I think that if I had, like, stayed a Christian, like, and kept going to church, you know, I still wouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, um, I mean, I, I feel like you see sort of right wing criticism of like all of the kids nowadays have like some sexuality and like, and I do think that there is some rigidity on the left in regards to sexuality too, to be like, I am capital L a lesbian, um, (laughs) when I'm like 17 and it's like, maybe you know that maybe you don't when I was 17. I thought I was going to be on Broadway. Things change. (laughs) Um, There's still time. And, yeah, I thought I was going to be on Broadway and marry an evangelical man (laughs) when I was 20. So, um... Wow, what a dream. Truly. Um, But, like, I feel like that's the criticism you see, but... Like, in my understanding of it, we're currently living in a culture where, like, exploring your sexuality as a young person is a lot more acceptable. Because, like, I remember it not being acceptable for me at all to explore sexuality in any way. Mm-hmm. Like, not even straight sexuality. Um, I was just like, nope. <laughs> we will not be addressing that. Yeah. And... Like, kids are figuring things out, and I think that's fine. Yeah. And when you're a teenager, you really want, like, an identity, and you want to make something your whole personality, and sometimes that's being gay. Yep. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you can just look at, like, the shows that were popular, like, the TV shows that were popular when we were in high school, and the ones that are popular now. Like, we had... At least for me, the ones that were popular with me specifically, Pretty Little Liars. Um, <gasps> yeah. Oh my god, I was gonna bring it up, but but I was I was gonna bring that up because I rewatched like half of the first season of Pretty Little Liars, which is a show about sexual predators. It and, is. Yeah. Um, like very recently, and they. Like, the bully, Allison, who's, like, the bully character, um, like, calls one of the, 
one of Hannah's friends, Lucas Hermy, like at, for hermaphrodite. Oh my for, god! Like, and I was like, I was like, I don't remember this, but also I can't like this was on TV in 2010. Yeah, like which was like fully wow. like a slur today. Yeah, like that was just like that's 12 years ago. Oh my mm-hmm. god! Yeah. So we had that, <laughs> and then we had Glee. <laughs> Which I was a Gleek. I loved oh, Gleek. Same. Oh my god. So For good. like the first three seasons. Mm, I yeah. I watched the first three seasons. I think like as they were coming out, and then I stopped. Yeah. And then I watched the whole thing freshman year of college with a friend, <laughs> and it was so fun. Fun. Um. And and Kurt was the gay hair, and eventually mm-hmm. Santana. But originally it was just Kurt, and that was, like, a huge deal. I remember yeah. it being a huge deal that there... And that Kurt got to have a boyfriend, yeah. too. Like, it felt delayed. Like, that had never happened before. Or, I mean, not that it felt delayed, but it kind of was, I guess, mm-hmm. delayed in that, like, I felt like his sexuality wasn't really addressed in the first season, and I, like, didn't really no, know any wasn't. gay people, I thought. And yeah. so I was like... I was like, I can't tell if Kurt is gay. <laughs> He's like so. I overly... picked up. I picked up on it real yeah. fast. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those were our shows, and now kids get mm-hmm. to enjoy shows like Heartstopper, which is so cute. <laughs> I, I know there's a, a whole bunch of like discourse about it, but I don't know. It's just a cute, nice show. What was popular with me personally was Gossip Girl, and <laughs> they're was a gay character but he tries to kill himself in like the first episode oh no he survives that's good but yeah and eventually i mean it's gossip girl who even knows what's going on on that show (laughs) fair so what can we do there are a lot of things we can do also not a lot of things we can do you know it's one of those (laughs) things that it's like it's just kind of better the more that we know and the more that we're thinking about Mm. it um Mm -hmm. there are all kinds of like support organizations which i'll go into a few but there are so many so like if you're looking for one either to donate to or like one that offers support like because you need support like i recommend doing your own research on it um but i will list a few but i wanted to say um so I'm by no means saying that we need to give the time of day to people who are, like, violently homophobic or transphobic. Not at all. Like, Mm -hmm. don't talk to them. Keep yourself safe, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. They can just be in their own little bubble. But I do honestly think that those people are the minority, the majority of people who, like, maybe aren't fully in support um, are, like, people who just don't really know And they're, like, maybe curious about things. I know that for me, like, that was me in, like, 2017 when I was trying Mm. to figure these things out and, like, writing my paper and stuff. And Mm -hmm. um, I had this one specific person who took the time to, like, patiently talk me through things and answer, like, my most dumb questions about the most basic things. And they were, like, just so nice and helpful and I learned so much from Mm. them and like not only about all these issues but also about um how to interact with people you know Mm. so yeah if you feel like 
you know, you have the bandwidth to, like, help people learn, like, I encourage you to try to do so. Um, But, uh, yeah, otherwise, like, if you're not someone who identifies as LGBTQ+, being not only outspoken about your support, but also making sure that you're being a safe person in other ways is really important. Um, if you mm-hmm. are someone who identifies as LGBTQ+, I hope that you have or find um, a group of people that makes you feel loved and welcomed. Um, and if you're not sure where to start on either of those issues, here are a couple organizations that I know of. Um, the Trevor Project, which I mentioned earlier, is like a super famous um, organization. It's the world's largest suicide prevention and crisis intervention organization for LGBTQ plus youth. It has a great site with tons of resources on everything from understanding gender identities to how to come out to friends and family. Um, so there's a lot of articles and blog posts and stuff you can read there. Um, and they also have like a chat and like, like a 24 seven chat and like call center. Um, the website lgbtcenters.org has a pretty big database of local support organizations and groups around the world, um, mostly in the U.S., but, uh, yeah, if you're looking for somewhere more local, like, that could be a good place to start. And then I also would recommend just checking out, like, your library's events. Um, Yeah, yeah. They have a bunch of stuff. They do, yeah. So there's, like, I know... For my area specifically, there's a group that's local called Out Metro West that uh, offers trainings on, like, vocabulary, like, super basic trainings, um, and they Mm. do a lot at, like, libraries in the area. Um, Mm. I can't guarantee your library will have something like that, but it's worth looking, and, like, the cool part about libraries is, like, you know, you can always request that they add things, so. Yeah, um, true. Yeah, I know the NYPL has like an LGBT like reading group. Oh, that's that's fun. so nice. Yeah, so that might be a way to meet. Like, I mean, not like you have a hard time meeting gay people in New York, but <laughs> fair. If, if you need like a structured activity, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's also a group called P Flag um, that has over 400 chapters all over the country. Each one's locally run, so, like, I can't speak for every group, but I attended a meeting myself when I was writing that article in college, um, mm. and it was, like, so gentle and loving that I honestly count mm. it as, like, one of the single most radicalizing events, like, I've ever been to. Aww, um, just because, so nice. like, I was so nervous to go, and I was like, I don't know anything, like, everyone's going to judge me for not knowing anything, and, like what am I doing here, you know, but everyone was so nice, and it was, like, the most, like, diverse group of people that I'd, like, ever Mm. been around, too, which is always a good thing, so. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so recommend checking out, like, your local chapter. You can go as an ally or as a queer person, so, uh, yeah, and you can always bring friends and stuff, so, yep, and then... Last but not least, um, this is random, but Twitch announced, like, a bunch of new tags that streamers can use last year to identify themselves with, um, including Mm. an ally tag and also, like, LGBTQ tags and stuff. Um, Obviously, 
people can use these tags for evil, but overwhelmingly mm-hmm. people seem to use them just to like mark their streams as safe. Uh, so mm. yeah, so could be That's a good cool. way to like just find safe places to hang out online. So um, I guess I, I would add something here because I have been like specifically involved with LGBT like activism yeah. through my volunteer work. Um, because if you don't know, I lived in Russia for a long time. They are not very friendly towards gay people. So yeah, consistently, the volunteer on, work, like, the uh, surveys yeah. I was looking at, all the like all of the countries listed would be like on the high end, and then Russia would just mm-hmm. be like a oh, way down here. <laughs> like, yeah, on it like and it stuff. depends on where you are, but it's yeah, it's. Much more prevalent in the older generation than it is in the younger generation. And again, for, like, no good reason, because Russia's not, like, particularly religious. Like, I know we've talked about their religious revival, but it's, like, it's it's not a particularly religious country. Anyways, um, it probably has to do with Putin. Um, True. So the volunteer work that I do or have done because I've had to stop because I've been too busy for a while, but I do hope to join again as that I translate for asylum seekers because I'm a Russian speaker. They usually put me on cases with people that don't speak any English. Almost always they're fleeing for sexuality related reasons. Um, and then, so if you're in the New York area, there is, um, a, an organization called Rusa LGBTQ, which does a lot of work with Russian and now Ukrainian refugees. So, and they are always looking for volunteer help and they're really great and they provide a lot of resources and they were really helpful to like the immigrant communities during COVID. So I definitely recommend checking them out. Um, and then... Yeah, I'm not going to say my volunteer organization that I work with, but you might come across them through um, Rusa LGBTQ. So that's just the one that I would throw out there. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's all we have for today. This was depressing, but also interesting. Yeah, I know (laughs) it was very depressing. (laughs) I'm sorry. I hope that Um, things improve. In summary, you can be gay in my cult. Yeah, join Vika's <laughs> cult. It's going to be a blast. <laughs> it will. Everybody gets a free cat. Ooh, nice. Everyone's welcome. No one can leave. All you have to do is agree yeah. with Victoria's opinions. And you're Which in. It's going to be easy since they're all correct. True. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you would like to support the pod, you can follow us. Uh, you can follow us on our Twitter and Instagram. You can leave us a review. You can join our Discord to come chat. Um, you can give us a rating on Spotify, or you could just listen. That is also something that you could do. Yeah. May your May thoughts stay, stay dirty. dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I forgot the first word, and I was like, it'll come to me. 